Hello, and welcome to the Chess Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Gretchen Winter. On behalf of CHEST, I would like to welcome you to this CHEST Journal podcast. I am Dr. Gretchen Winter, and I am your CHEST podcast moderator. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be an interesting discussion on the goals of therapy for adults and children in the CFTR modulator era. We are fortunate to have Dr. Damian Downey and Dr. Rebecca Thursfield as our guests. Dr. Downey wrote the pro side of this point counterpart point entitled, In the Era of CF Modulator Therapy, Are the Treatment Goals for Adults Now Different in Children with CF? Dr. Downey is a cystic fibrosis pulmonologist and leads the Northern Ireland Adult CF Service. He is an associate professor at Queen's University Belfast and the director of the European CF Society Clinical Trials Network. Dr. Thursfield and Dr. Jane Davies wrote the counterpoint on this topic. Dr. Thursfield is a respiratory pediatrician at Alder Hayes Children's Hospital in Liverpool in the UK, where as well as working within the CF team, she leads the CF Clinical Trials Program. She is also one of the associate directors for research. Uh, Well, thank you very much for the kind invitation to join the discussion today. Yes, thank you for having me. Looking forward to an interesting discussion. Absolutely. So, Dr. Downey, you argue that adult patients with CF often have more severe lung disease, as well as a higher prevalence of pseudomonas colonization, which changes some of their treatment focus. Can you please elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. What we normally see in the adult population is an increasing frequency over the years of of pulmonary exacerbations, uh, which are deemed as as chest infections. We do find that they result in increased lung damage and therefore resulting in further pulmonary exacerbations. And the main factor in recurrence of pulmonary exacerbations is how many you've had in in the previous year. Well, we do find that this leads to damage to the lung resulting in bronchiectasis, which generally in the adult population is uh, irreversible. But we then use quite complex antibiotic regimens uh, over the years. They become increasingly complex with side effects, including hearing loss, uh, for example. So the challenges do become uh, more complex as the patients uh, age. And your uh, point as well uh, about uh, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, again, we do see um, uh, increasing amounts of Pseudomonas in the adult population. I, I highlighted in, in the piece that approximately uh, 40% of adults would have chronic Pseudomonas, and this is not just intermittent Pseudomonas, and in the pediatric population would be around 5%. Uh, that does change how we treat uh, patients. Um, because we know that Pseudomonas has, uh, results in greater morbidity and certainly mortality in CF, so suppression of it is, is, is really uh, important. And that suppression usually is in the context of nebulized uh, antibiotics. We have quite a few agents now. We use complex uh, regimens, 
Uh, and then with that, there's the development of resistance, adherence, challenges, um, uh, how patients with CF tolerate these agents, and of course, the associated treatment burden that we would uh, see. Uh, so what about the, that in the context of CFTR modulation? Well, there is some early data to show that um, we can potentially delay the onset of uh, Pseudomonas and maybe other pathogenic uh, bacteria. So I do think if we use increasing and earlier um, uh, instigation of CFTR modulators, we may well drop the 5% of chronic Pseudomonas in, in children and potentially not have any Pseudomonas, and this would be then seen more as an adult-related uh, uh, disease. So hopefully that's a bit of a snapshot of, of, of the challenges that we would see in adult medicine, which I think are maybe uh, slightly different in the pediatric population. And you also note differences between adults and children with CF in terms of their pancreatic function, both endocrine and exocrine. Can you discuss that? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, pancreatic exocrine dysfunction really is a hallmark of, of CF. And we therefore see a lot of um, pancreatic insufficiency and enzyme replacement uh, is again a, a standard part of, of CF uh, treatment. But of course there's a little early data now showing that treatment with CFTR modulators and this is really just the use of Ivacaftor. Data isn't mature enough obviously with the triple therapy um, um, that um, got a U.S. license in, in 2019. But in those earlier studies, there was some restoration of, of function if uh, potentially treated in infancy. Now, I think this would be much less likely in the adult population because they will have years, if not decades, of pancreatic uh, insufficiency, and I think that would be quite a challenge to reverse. Uh, uh, some of that. But of course, we do need the um, later uh, and the longitudinal data, but there is a real opportunity here if drugs are started early, and particularly if the, if the triple therapy um, gets uh, a license for increasingly younger uh, children. And I think uh, probably an important um, uh, thing to, to uh, draw to everybody's attention was, it was a case report actually just published a two to three weeks ago um, where a, a parent uh, with CF who was on triple therapy, the ETI, and her, her, with her husband who had won uh, a 5-weight Dell mutation uh, and the child born had uh, CF and with a sweat test of around 60 to 67. We would expect a sweat at that stage to be around um, early to mid-90s. And interestingly, that child who obviously probably got access to the triple therapy um, through pregnancy and subsequently through breast milk did not have pancreatic insufficiency, which is really quite a remarkable thing in, in a child uh, who is homozygous for the 508 uh, mutation. Uh, and just to follow up then on uh, CF diabetes, uh, as I've put into the case that it increases with age and around 13% of 10 to 15 year olds would have CF related diabetes, but around a third of those uh, over 16 would have it. And this would certainly increase in those uh, adults who are in their 40s 
and 50s. Uh, I think the interesting thing that we're seeing with triple therapy in our clinical practice um, is that insulin requirements uh, do uh, significantly uh, reduce. So we're already seeing some changes uh, with that. Uh, and I think potentially could we uh, push the, cu- the, the curve again to the right where the diagnosis of CF-related diabetes becomes an, an adult-only uh, disease, which I, I think is uh, a, a thing to watch in, in, in the CFTR landscape. Now, finally, you discuss other comorbidities common in adults, like cardiovascular disease and gastrointestinal cancer. How do you think CFTAR modulator use will affect treatment goals in relation to those comorbidities? Yeah, I mean, this is a really interesting uh, part of of CF, and what we're trying to do in adult medicine is to look ahead and to look at the challenges that we would, uh, well, we're currently facing uh, some challenges with comorbidities, but I think as an aging population, uh, obviously you accumulate uh, more of these. I did highlight the the potential concern of CF, or sorry, of, of cardiovascular disease, so we already know uh, people with CF have a degree of uh, dyslipidemia. Uh, there are challenges with that. Even pre-CFTR modulators, there is a, a, a potential um, of uh, obesity in the population, and we are certainly seeing increased, significant increases in BMI following CFTR uh, modulation. Um, plus what I've just mentioned about CF-related diabetes. So you put all this together in an aging population, we really have to be careful about the development of cardiovascular uh, disease. And uh, I think the, the important thing to that is we, we don't really have good screening programs. We don't really know what age that would, may become a challenge uh, to people with CF. And I think um, you look in tandem with uh, cancer, for example, we know um, that, uh, just to take gut cancer, for example, that we know there's increasing polyposis in CF, we know uh, a certain proportion have advanced uh, adenomas, and uh, certainly in the U.S. Uh, there is a, a, a screening program um, of colonoscopy, etc., in those uh, people uh, over, over 40 years of age. So we will see more of that. I do think um, what's the impact of uh, CFTR modulation on the heart? That we don't know that, um, but CFTR is expressed widely in cardiac myocytes and in the endothelium. And of course, back to the cancer thing, why is that? Is that a CFTR um, um, challenge? And therefore, if we modulate that, will that abrogate that challenge? Well, again, we don't know that. If it is an inflammatory state, which obviously can uh, precipitate uh, um, mitotic disease, uh, what's the impact of CFTR uh, modulation on on chronic inflammation, and that's a main interest of, of, of my research group. Um, so all these, just as an example of two, two examples of comorbidities, will need longitudinal studies, and I think they're probably best teased out in large registry studies uh, to identify those risks to the population. Now, Dr. Thursfield, you argue that the treatment goals for CF should be the same across all age groups, 
and should include improving physical health and well-being. How do you respond to the differences in disease burden between adult and pediatric patients that Dr. Downey discussed? <clears throat> yeah, thank you. So as Dr. Downey said, there are differences between young people and adults. But that shouldn't mean that we should have different treatment goals with regards to those populations. Proportionally more adults than children have severe lung disease, but when you look at them as individuals and not as groups of patients, then that's not always the case. And we need to move towards individualised medicine and not group-based treatments. Um, and that is what is even more pertinent with these new therapies. Some children, very sadly, have severe lung disease and some adults who are in their 60s enjoy good health. And so you can't, you can't just group them together and say, well, more adults have more lung disease and therefore our goals are different. What you need to be saying is you need to be saying we want to reduce lung disease, we want to improve physical health, we want to improve overall well-being. And that doesn't matter whether it's a baby in front of you, um, a school-aged child, a teenager or an adult. Our goals are the same for everybody. Um, when you look at the, the UK statistics for 2019, just under a fifth of people who died were actually under the age of 20. So, you know, we, there are um, obviously significant proportions of children who, who do have severe disease, and that's why you can't, you can't um, think about the populations as completely separate entities. With regards to pancreas, pancreatic function, um, it may be that in time we can give um, in utero treatment, as Dr. Downey has suggested, but it does seem that pancreatic damage seems to occur before birth, and so unless the treatments are giving antenatally, they're unlikely, your pancreatic function is unlikely to be affected. Um, some reversal was seen, as Dr. Downey points out, in patients with G551D, but locally we explored pancreatic function in that group of children well before the modulator era, and we obtained similar findings to those in the study. So at the moment, the jury is still out on whether modulators will have an impact on pancreatic function given earlier, um, unless they can be given um, in utero. So again, for all people who are pancreatic insufficient, that the same will apply. Um, again, Dr. Downey talked about cystic fibrosis-related diabetes, and I completely agree it is a common serious complication. Um, it's also seen as pediatrics, again, as Dr. Downey described in his paper and just now, it's seen in 13% of the 10 to 15-year-olds. And, and yes, that's not as common as the one-third of adults who have it, but for those 13% of children who do have it, the fact that they are less common is of no bearing to them as individuals. Um, we've recently found that seven out of eight of our population who started the modulator treatments were able to stop their insulin or at least very significantly reduce the amount they were on. And so we're hoping that we will see improvement in cystic fibrosis-related diabetes no matter what age and that modulator treatment will be a, a massive improvement on them. Um, and, and so really, it's about looking at the, the individual, um, the individual who has pseudomonas and requires nebulized antibiotics, the pseudomonas, the, the individual who has pancreatic insufficiency, the individual who has cystic fibrosis-related um, diabetes, and having a look at how that individual is and what the treatment is for that individual and what their treatment goals are. And for everyone, we want their treatment goals to be an improved quality of life, no matter what age they are. 
Um, things as obesity and hypertension are really interesting. Um, and so we are also seeing an increase in, in weight on the modulated treatments. And that that can be a real problem. And of course, our population in pediatrics have a, a long way to go with, with weight gain and starting off in their teenage years in obesity, what that will do to their long-term outlook on health is only to be, to be seen. And there needs to be a, a great deal of education into healthy eating and our dietary advice you know, has got to, to change in the face of these modulators. And again, that is the same for, for all ages, healthy diets and healthy lifestyles, be physically active, and that's, that's the goal for, for everybody. And Dr. Thursfield, you also point out that there are a number of factors that influence disease progression other than age. Can you please elaborate on that? Yeah, so your genetics, a person's genetics seems to have an impact on the disease severity. Um, a big one is their adherence to treatment in different ages. The nutrition that they have in the first few years of life seems to impact the, or the, some, some evidence that that impacts your well-being in your later years. Um, but overall, there seem to be a lot of unknown facts that, that have a, a bearing on the severity of your disease. We see in pediatrics, and I'm sure adults is the same, you know, you have some young people who are, we believe, greatly adherent to their treatment. And yet they they just seem to have an unfair level of severity of disease for, for reasons that we can't explain. And other people who we believe are, are less concordant with their treatments and yet sail through fairly fairly easily um, in the pediatric years and with no real rhyme nor reason as to why that would be the case. So there are some predictable factors, genes, nutrition, as with all of life, socioeconomic factors come into it. Um, you know, certainly deprivation, we know across the UK and across the world, deprivation fares badly in all age groups, in disease and in health. Um, those in deprived areas do less well and that's no different in CF. Um, but I believe that there are other factors that, that we just don't, don't know what they are that seem to, to impact disease severity. Dr. Downey? Yes. Um, I, I think the final one that I uh, used in my rebuttal is it's not about what it is, it's about what it can become. And uh, I, I think it, it made me it made me contemplate about how we've moved from phase three studies uh, into into the real world. The studies were initially designed, obviously, to explore endpoints for regulatory uh, approval, such as uh, FEV1. And uh, but the impact in the clinic is really much more than uh, the number uh, on a page. We see an increase in weight, decrease in pump exacerbations, increase in energy. Uh, people are getting back to school, back to work, uh, starting families. And these, these stories have been absolutely uh, transformative. And whilst this was always a, a, an aspirational aspect of CF, it's now become a, a realization. So these drugs are what it's about what it can become. It's all about uh, potential. Um, it's just so much more than just a change in lung function. And Dr. Thursfield, 
it's up to us to, to steer the direction of our life, our work life, our out-of-work life. And when it comes to the patients, it really, it really is a case now that they really do have potential and it's for them to steer the direction of it. You know, the parents when they're, when they're younger, the person themselves when they're older. And so with the modulators now, but, you know, the world, their voice, the world is their potential. Um, and they really can, really do need to go out with that optimism that things are different, it is a changed world, it is a changed era, and that they need to view themselves differently and think, yeah, you can go in any direction you want. And as we finish up our discussion, can each of you please give our listeners a closing thought on what you want them to take away from this discussion? Dr. Downey? Yes, I think all the medications we've discussed, both CFTR modulator uh, and other have come through the CF teams and particularly people with CF who've, who've dedicated their time and efforts to research. And I think we're privileged to be in a position in this golden era of, of CF research. These drugs have certainly transformed the CF uh, landscape, but not all patients have access or suitable due to genetics or indeed uh, people who have had to come off due to the side effect profile. So I guess what this means in the journey so far, it's not over. We are certainly well on the way, but we haven't reached the, the, the destination uh, of, of a cure. But of course, there's new genetic therapies uh, on the horizon. Um, mRNA uh, studies will be starting and so forth shortly. So it's an incredibly uh, exciting time uh, for research. And Dr. Thurstfield? So my point takeaway would be it's important to treat all people as individuals and as individuals who can benefit from these modulators um, and individuals who can benefit from other treatments and also individuals who can't benefit from any of these treatments because it's not one available for them or as Dr. Allen said they've had to come off them because of, um, of side effects and it's about um, treating them all as individuals and not becoming complacent about how it must feel now to be one of those people who doesn't have a modulator treatment available for them. And also, even for those who do have those modulators, we're giving them now to, to very small children. What are the 10, 20, 30, 40-year side effects going to be of these medications on the, on the liver? We just don't know. So there's still a, an, an amount of uncertainty. And whilst it's a really exciting time in research, and we are so excited as clinicians and researchers, about the impact these modulators are having on our, our young people with CF and the outlook that I've got on their life. Actually, there are, there are still some uncertainties, and we need to not, not forget those, not become complacent about those or about those for whom there are no treatments. But overall, it's about treating everyone as an individual and an individualized treatment plan. Perfect. Well, a big thank you to both Dr. Downey and Dr. Thursfield for a wonderful discussion. And a big thank you to our chest community for joining us. I'm Gretchen Winter, and this is a chest podcast. Until next time.